Gourmet's experts Always know what's best Always tell you what you should have done Monday's experts Always know what's cooking How the game was lost And how it could have been won Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The People's Game. We've had all the action from AFLW round four. We've got trouble for the demons, the pies getting hot in Alice Springs, the dogs were perhaps hotter on Friday night, and Carlton have had a fortnight that rivals that of Barnaby Joyce in the category of the worst possible. Um, The JLT started off uh, a win in the Wang for Richmond at the Norm Mins Oval. The D's got over the top of North, uh, and the Eagles and Port played out of a a bit of a spicy one um, to start off pre-season, and the Crows went back to crowing um, how long we'll see for. Um, We're going to ask ourselves if we learnt anything. We're also going to discuss the role of the commentator. And Book Club this week won't be a part of this pod. It'll be a separate episode, which we've already recorded with the... Great man, Conrad Marshall. Gordon, let's get into this. Uh, AFLW round four, what did you make of it? Well, I think actually because of the two really wet games and a blowout, there wasn't really that much, to, well, two blowouts really. What didn't actually learn that much from those games. The, the, the takeaways, you really just saw games were won or lost early or the game was just a classic slog fest. But we'll get to the first one. You know, again, like the clear take out here is we had seven goals kicked by an AFLW player for the first time in, you know, its short short career span. But Brooke Lockhart had a, had a night, a night, mm. remember, kicked four and a quarter. And, uh, yeah, the game was pretty much done at that point. My first take out of this game, though, is 5-6-5 has killed Carton's season. Mm. So they've lost, they've lost players. So they, they were missing from that game... Davy Harris, Hardman, Loins, Brazel, and Gee. Managed. Managed. Gee was managed. Not rested. Managed. But again, two sort of play. So they're they're all out, and so and they are they're all in their best twenty-two. And now they have to accommodate those replacements and then play an open and vulnerable structure mm. as according to the memo. Mm. That's not so how is this? Uh, you know, 86 to 13 more interesting than a 25 all game. Goals! Goals! Because, goals! Goals, goals, goals! Goal, 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 goal! Yeah, that was. That made. That just frustrated me because, again, you've taken away a team's mm-hmm. right to try and win for the sake of the, the brand of the game and you haven't done anything to preserve the brand. You've actually made it mm-hmm. look even more farcical than mm-hmm. it was before. I actually didn't watch this and when I saw it, it was so one-sided, I didn't tune in. But there's a bit of a story behind this because 565 has killed the Blues season. My dog killed my Friday evening. It didn't eat my homework, but it may as well have because for Christmas a couple of years ago, my auntie gave me a little penguin figurine which polystyrene has all these feathers. Left my bedroom door open, went to work. Got home. The dogs chewed through the wit of Whitlam. Of all the books, comrade, you've chewed through the wit of Whitlam. And there was feathers all over my floor. Room looked like a bomb site, which is essentially what Carlton's season currently looks like. Not, a, not as, a result, as a result of my dog, but as a result of the dogs. Well, that's a great metaphor. And the takeaway for the dogs is, I reckon they had the best depth in the competition. So they had no Katie Brennan, who may or may not be back in terms of finals, but I think that result will kind of they'll roll the dice this season if they're a chance of playing in the granny. 
They have no Isabel Huntington. They also have no dramas. They just seem to find players who will step up and do that role. I think it's interesting that you mentioned... I mean, I think it's easy to look at the dogs and think that they're key forwards in terms of Huntington and Brennan are the key to their game, but it's not. I think from round one, their ball movement has been spectacular. And that's obviously allowed KB to play a really free lead-up game, which is what she's really good at. And I don't necessarily think that her being out takes that away. And I, so that's kind of one of the reasons I think that they're still managing to do really well in the absence of those two. I, I think if you're able to take uncontested marks in your forward 50 you're going to win games and create opportunities to score. They're better than anyone in the comp at doing that at the moment, and that will hold up even if KB doesn't come back. If she does come back, that's so great because it means that when teams shut down that uncontested ball and they have to whack it long down the line, they've got KB there underneath the ball. So nothing but good signs for the Dogs and plenty of dark times for the Blues. And so game two, and you again caught this one, the Lions 3-4, 20 Defeated the Dockers 2-3-15. Gordon, what did you make of it? Uh, 200 mils of rain. So I made of it in mm. 48 hours. Two or choo-choo-choo? Two, 200 mils in the last two days, either side of this game. And it was always going to be a slog, and it was. And you can't really draw anything out of it. Like, you, if you're a coach, you'd go into review and you're like, you tried hard. If, if you're the Lions, we tried hard and we won. And if you're the Dockers, we tried hard and we lost. But, like... It was beyond wet weather footy. It was monsoonal footy. So <laughs> really, you know, not much to take out of it. I said probably two things. So people, and this is the catchphrase commentators curse, I reckon, when they say wet weather footy standardises the playing field. It does in terms of scoring because it's harder to score. Obviously, everything becomes harder, but it actually separates the skill levels. So you look across all forms of footy, whether it's ammos all the way through to AFLW, AFLM, the best players get better in the wet. It's just that mm. the other players around them get worse, mm. so the game drops off. Yep. So here, in this case, Kate Lufkins for, the, for Brisbane was simply the best player on the field because when everyone else was fumbling, when everyone else was falling over, when everyone else was getting knocked about, she was sure-footed, she was sure-handed, and she would just dispose of it super cleanly. So... She, she's obviously got class and poison. She had an opportunity to show it in what was other pretty dire and boring game. Mm. Um, and for Freo, again, this is a very simple game. It always comes back to first principles in the wet. Freo had nine inside 50s in the first quarter. They had one behind. Then they lost momentum. And in the wet, it's pretty hard to get it back. And so they lost the game. Mm. Again, not much to take out for like to extrapolate for the rest of the season. But, you know, that, that's what they would be disappointed about. At, you know today mm. and tomorrow and then they go oh well that didn't really tell us anything let's move on for the rest of the season my question yep and this is not really related to the game was the rain biblical or was it something more than biblical was it more than biblical I didn't know biblical was a measurement of rain biblical is there's biblical rain biblical rain 40 days and 40 nights my friend yeah it was only just two though yeah well we were getting there yeah. Noah trudging out with an ark and you know, here come two lions and and the, was, and, and the, the dockers. dockers. They, yeah. have, they should really have thrived if you're going to keep extending the metaphor. Yes, biblical is a measurement of rain. Oh, yeah. and I think this fits the bill. So the D's and the pies. This was well, gee, you can't get more opposite conditions. This was 37 degrees, and it was just, you know lateish on a Saturday. And I must say that there was a couple of beautiful grounds on display over the weekend, both in the JLT and here. This was just the desert in the background in Alice Springs. Is something to behold. Um, and the weather wasn't the only thing that was hot. Correct. So the pies, the, the must listen. I think the the podcast curse. We have the opposite effect. If we give someone a bake, 
suddenly it's all like, oh, actually, no, no, we're, we're taking it on board. We're going to listen to these two experts in inverted commas mm. talk about Tago Gamma Park, which we did last week on length for Collingwood. Mm. And what changed? Well, Mo Hope, shout out to Mo Hope. She started poorly, two holding the balls. And then she was just allowed to do what Mo Hope does, which is lead up, kick goals, take take marks, get free, and not have to try and win a game by a thousand cuts, but just come and make an impact, get out. Make an impact, mm. get out. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, Wayne. You used Mo Hope appropriately. Two thumbs up from Supercoach Gordo. But really, it was just the finally, you know, we're into the fourth game of the year and all of their best players had good games. Mm. So Bernardi, Lambert, Kochi, Hope, King, the engine room and the forwards were on and they didn't have to rely on any backs. So Chloe, for the first time all year, had a quietish game. That was actually a positive. And my takeaway for Melbourne, again, I wouldn't read too much into this result. We did query last week. Is this much of a change in routine too much for this mm-hmm. level of the competition? And I think it probably is. Because you look at mm. the players who didn't show up or the players who had bad games and you go, they're, you know, Daisy Pierce was kept quiet, was that fatigue? Even Paxson was kept pretty quiet, was that fatigue? They, they had such a deep playing list for them all to go missing on the mm. same day. kind of suggests that maybe going to Freo, then not coming back home, mm. then going to Alice Springs. Like, again, these... that. That travel scheme would have alarm bells ringing for the super elite. Even, you know, you hear about in the NFL, if teams are going west to east or east to west, mm. then they go, it's almost a scheduled loss. Well, you say that, and I, was a few, two and a half weeks or two weeks is a long time. I was away in Europe for two and a half weeks. I lost my wallet, lost my phone, went to eight different countries, didn't have to play a game of football. I'm not sure that they'd be acclimatised to doing that. Even AFLM teams don't do that. No. They come home and they always come home. And I understand this was a tough period of their season. But this has turned into, really, after good early wins, it's almost going to shoot them because as they were losing in the last quarter, you were kind of like, okay, this is bad and Melbourne, this is going to hurt them. And then you realise that Collingwood just kept kicking goals. And you're thinking, okay, well, are they going to get there now? They're going to have to essentially get there on percentage. And then you're going, well, that's going backwards. So it went from being manageable to being a full-scale disaster. What it does speak to, other than the fact that it's really hard to get through two and a half weeks without you know stuffing everything up, especially if you're me, um, if your best players play well, footy is a really simple game. Mm. Like, and we've obviously spoken about Richmond at times, but sometimes it's like if your bad play, if your good players have a bad year and your good players have a good year, then there's six players who have gone from A's or B's to C's, and it makes a huge difference. And that's it with Collingwood. Well, we did say there would be draws in AFLW. Thank you. And this was exactly that. So the Giants and the Crows got underway in Blacktown. Um, someone tweeted today that it's essentially heartache territory or heartbreak territory because all the games that have been played there thus far, well, there's, I think there's been two draws and a very close win to the Giants at Blacktown. Um, but this was just wet, windy, and horrible. I don't even know if Jesus would have enjoyed these conditions. Um, he probably would have been knocked over by the wind while he was walking on the water. The bottom two going into this game, staggeringly, um, were going head-to-head with a huge carrot dangling, really, because if you get back to 2-2 in this comp with the way it's situated, you're right in it. Um, one one apiece in the opening quarter. I mean, Erin Phillips, I thought, was pretty constantly held um, when she didn't have the pill, but no, it's just sort of one of those things. And this just became a slog. She couldn't get into it. Cora Staunton was probably the biggest standout um, with her goal-kicking around the body which is really interesting. Um, she came back with a broken nose after last week and was pretty good in the wet. Um, Ebony Marinoff broke the tackle record for AFLW and for AFLM with 21. 21, if you don't mind. 
Um, but at the end, I, I'm not actually sure who the Crows girl was. She rushed behind, and I'm not sure in those conditions that you don't force that over the uh, the boundary line and avoid giving it away. Because at the time, I went, right, that's done. This is a draw now. No team is going to move this ball far enough to score. And so it proved. And um, I guess one of my takeouts for this was, uh, other than the weather just being you know, abhorrent, appalling, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm not sure about draws in a seven-week season. I'm really interested in whether we should have just had overtime. The, the, the obvious situation there is that a draw in this short season is essentially a loss to both teams. Mm. That's, how, that's how it pans out. Because yeah. you look at it, they're still bottom, both bottom now, even though they both got uh, points. I think they're both ahead of Collingwood now with six points. Oh, with six points. Yeah, so they've jumped. So, but you essentially go from cooking one bird to cooking two. So... There's obviously a need probably for results in this situation. However, if you play an extra 10 minutes, does that have an effect the next week? So even if, so even if you go into this, it's mm-hmm. going to be a tight loss regardless. So then the team that loses basically penciled in for two losses. And even the team that wins is probably penciled in for a loss next week as well. I'm not sure. because You don't think so? Well, my argument there would be that this pretty much ends it for them. So why would you not keep one alive and just take that chance? Because, okay, if they lose because they're fatigued the next week, then surely they'd rather have it that way and have some opportunity as opposed to having none now. Do you, do you understand why? I do understand it, but they also have an opportunity to win the game. Like, you know, you drew. Like, yeah, and to an extent, I feel like, um, you know, you set a time limit, okay, if you ended up level bad luck. I'm just wondering whether it's not something that would be worth looking at in the context of the competition in the manner that it is with the consequences for a draw or any drop points being so massive. Um, I don't... I'm not sort of crying out. I'm not going to start the petition and get you signing up online, ladies and gentlemen. But I think it's you know worth a worth a question. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you can. I think draws are a part of AFL and they're kind of a unique part of AFL. We've mm. seen it in rugby league where they don't they have the golden point, and then and then most of the time in those situations, because of it's such a possession based game, you can actually get the whole thing, play the extra 10, 15 minutes, and then end up with a draw anyway. Mm. I mean, that was the round, and it leaves the ladder well in a roadblock, really. And I think you have to look at it now and say that Brisbane and the Bulldogs are in prime position. I think the Bulldogs are in prime position. Everyone else is chasing. And again, that's obviously a bit of momentum. They've had this massive win. They've had it at home. They're relatively healthy, and the ones that they're missing, they've filled their spots. So I think, mm. for mine, they're in the, probably the best position to be be the front runners for at least next week until mm. some more craziness happens and I think everyone else even even Collingwood now with their tails up and knowing that probably their best footy is more than good enough can scrape back in they're obviously behind the eight ball yeah. but everyone else is kind of just like we need we need to keep scraping and scratching mm. we've only got three weeks left so. well the other thing is there will be a team in this grand final barring a few draws that has two losses because Melbourne and Brisbane play on Friday night down at Casey which is now a I've finally been inspired to go to Casey because this is a must-watch in the context of the competition. But Melbourne have to beat Brisbane and the Bulldogs now really to get in. And I'm actually really excited. Yeah, There's some games this weekend that are going to be just super. Yeah, well, weird. Um, something else about Super is, of course, the People's Champion. We've had probably a bit of a subdued weekend in terms of individual performances seat for one. So probably the five-pointer is obvious. But starting at the bottom... Heading to the top, one point goes to Ebby Marinoff for that 21-tackle record-breaking performance. It just shows a willingness to try and win. Now, you said in the uh, show notes <laughs> here, uh, Gordon, I could have got 21 tackles in those conditions. Which is absolutely not true because my arms are made of paper and I can't... Uh, like, I couldn't tackle 
I mean, a, a tackle bag. I've not got a better analogy. I couldn't tackle... A tackle bag. I've got no idea. Yeah, I couldn't tackle a tackle bag. Like, yeah, yeah. paper thin, paper... No, I'm just bad. Yeah. You know, but also, bad. even more prevalent is the fact that the next most tackles by a crow that game was eight. I didn't see that note because I added my note and then you've clearly just rebutted me. Otherwise, I would have taken my bit out. But yeah. For stitching me up. Jeez. Yeah, no worries at all. So she's had just an immense physical performance in, mm-hmm. a, in a very trying condition. Good on you, Ed. I'll give her that. Two points uh, goes to Alicia Eva in the same game. Opposite, her class kind of shone through in challenging conditions. 23 touches on the day. Uh, the next best giant had 13, so she was getting the ball. She was getting the early ball, winning at the cold face. And she also had eight tackles at well. So she was being gritty, she was being hard, she was being determined. It, didn't all, it only ended up being two points worth, but a really good game from her. Just pause there. Is she the recruit of the season in your eyes? Uh, yes. Yeah, recruited the season, definitely. I think she has to be. I mean, Harris is probably playing in a team where she hasn't been able to have an impact of mm. the size that Eva has. And I guess GWS have further to go to become super competitive than Carlton, and they've improved a bucket load. Yeah. Um, and I think she's been a really key part of that. Um, so I've kind of just given myself a Dorothy Dixer, which I love doing. Yeah, go on. Three points goes to Kate Lutkins from Brisbane. Absolute poise and class in the wet. And a very well-rounded performance. 12 kicks, 6 handballs, 3 marks, 3 tackles. And, yeah, just easily the best player <laughs> on the ground. Four votes, Christina Bernardi. Didn't have the most staterific game, but also there was a missing stat. So shout-outs to Champion Gutter. Yet again, it's not that hard to just code it afterwards from the bunker in South Bank. Get me my score involvements, please. But from what I saw on the television cast doing my own, she had six score involvements, which was over half of the scores. And, uh, yeah, again, just a classic performance. And she was there when the game needed to be won in, uh, early in the second and third quarters. She was there pretty much behind all of Collingwood's scores. But the obvious choice for the People's Champion this week, the record breaker, she kicked more goals in this one game than the leading goalkeeper for the Bulldogs kicked last season. That's just how silly it is. Yeah, Seven cool. goals, five votes, book lock up. The data ever does not change the overall standings. Daisy Pierce is still, even after a quiet week, the uh, current People's Champion for season 2.0. I don't know, I feel like uh, the weekend, it was a tough weekend. Like looking after a five month old puppy, like I actually had to handle her off to a friend for a night um, just because it was too hard. And she destroyed my room and I was in tears. I wasn't I wasn't in tears, but it was emotionally testing. My sister's back from America this week. The dog will be back with its rightful owner. I'll be back at AFLW. It'll be spectacular. And we'll have uh, the new episode of our new podcast called This Week in Dog Sitting, obviously, from Jake. Which is actually what the people want, because if you want to know how not to look after and train a puppy, I'm your guy. Um, in fact, I just am your guy, generally. Something that is as relevant to dog sitting as it is to the season outcomes is the JLT, which also kicked off this weekend. Oh, How was that for a segue? Well, pretty damn good. It was lean that was fit and it had a massive summer was the JLT. I thought Gary Lyon was talking about me when he said that on commentary, but he was actually talking about Max Gorn. I was a little bit annoyed. I said, gee, Gary, look, I'm looking all right. But I don't think there's ever been a line that is more overused. Like, he's had a massive summer. What does that mean? Like, he's been sinking tins at revs every second night. Like, he's had a massive summer. Like... I don't know, I've had massive summers and generally kind of come back lean and fit. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, let's... Uh, like, if you don't look lean fit and you haven't had a massive summer, like, you're not doing your job. You're an AFL footballer. Like, yeah. what do you have to do? Like, that—that that is your life. Like, get in the gym. If someone paid me 
to go to the gym, like, fine. I'd be lean and fit. And I would have oh, had a massive summer, yeah. Different sort of massive summer. Um, I didn't even have a massive... I had a massive summer on no fronts, just to clarify. I'm a certified old man. Anyway, to the football. Um, I mean, Richmond had an enormous win in the way. Yeah, again, I just draw nothing from this, though. Because I think in a JLT Cup game, if you get to a point where the, the game is clearly won... You're not going to change your tactics in a preseason mm-hmm. game because you obviously go in there with a different set of goals. So Essendon would have gone in there with, we want to achieve X, Y, Z, whatever their X, Y, and Z was for that day. And when it didn't work in beating Richmond, they go, we don't care. Let's keep trying to do X, Y, Z. That's today's game plan. Because mm-hmm. once they go, you know, 60 points down, they're not going to like, let's claw this back. There's no, yeah. there's no point. Yeah. And it's probably also an opportunity then to put different players on, try and try some different things out. So the actual... Margin, I don't think is significant, and you often see big blowouts in in preseason, particularly games. in individual quarters. Yeah, because as we've said before, and Dermot Burton's kind of said this last year, teams will have a crack for a quarter, and they'll try something for a quarter, and then they'll th- and like there was a game Richmond and Collingwood last year at Moe, which I think I've mentioned, where this, it was like there were like thirty five point swings every quarter. Mm. It was ridiculous because teams were just, like, just all over the all over the shop. But um, the big outtake from this was I finally learned about Norm Mins. So Norm Mins won four consecutive premierships with Wangaratta as a player from 49 to 52. He won another as captain coach of Benalla in 53. And he also went on to be on various selection and committee boards um, down in the Wangaratta, Wangaratta, Wangaratta region. Um, so Norm, I take my hat off to you. I'm very sorry I couldn't visit you on the weekend, but you're a legend. So... The rest of the JLT for the weekend, um, we kind of had some pretty interesting results, but we're more or less, rather than going through this game by game, just going to go through some hot takes for the season that lies ahead. I'm going to lead off with mine, which is that the Melbourne Demons are going to make the top four, whether you like it or not. Um, My logic for this is fairly well found out, I think. They were 12-10 and 10 last year, which is a, not a bad ledger anyway. Normally gets you into the eight. They finished ninth. They missed out, as we all know, by about three goals. It was kind of funny, but also, like, a lot went wrong. And when you miss out by a B's wang, in this case, a B's wang is 0.51%. Don't know if that's a standardized measure. Um, there's a lot that could have changed this. I go back to the Richmond game in round five where they had two injured and got overrun in the last quarter. If they won that game, they made the eight. By the same token, Jesse Hogan missed several weeks with his trials and tribulations and having him back this year is going to make a huge difference. They also had those suspensions at various points to Hogan, to Jordan Lewis, to others for overstepping the line. And I think Melbourne's trend as a, as a squad is going to be to gain the sort of maturity that I think Richmond showed last year. I say that for a few reasons. They've gradually improved and I don't necessarily believe that success is a linear path but they have improved their ladder position in each of the last four seasons. And I just I just can't see them going the other way. One of the hallmarks always of a team that's on the rise is wins interstate. You see this time and time again with teams that come up. Their wins last year were Adelaide and Adelaide and West Coast in Perth. They hadn't been West Coast in Perth since 2004. That's a long time, 13 years. I was still in the fourth grade. Um, so I think that says a lot. The other thing is I think um, in many ways you kind of learn something by the amount of close losses they had. So they lost to Frio in Melbourne by two points, Hawthorne by three points, then North twice by 14 and by four. Turn any one of those results around and they're looking at finishing eighth, turn a couple of them around and they're fifth. And I can only see them getting better. I don't think their outs 
defeat their ins. I think Weaver in Watts Trengrove out, you know, much of a muchness. As much as I love Jack Watts as a player, and I think they probably should have kept him, I don't think it'll hurt them. I think Weaver's a, a really big in because I think he was nearly the Crows' best player at the back end of last year. Um, Donald and Hogan out of the forward 50. And a couple of stats, they had 71.8 tackles per game, which was the second in the comp. So I think their ability to apply forward half pressure is is exceptional. I think that will stand them in good stead. And I think their improvement is going to come with the ball in hand. They were the fifth worst with the pill in hand. Um, I can only see that improving. One of the things was they played the pressure game well, but they often got beaten at it by the opposition. I'm just not sure that with more maturity, personnel on the park every week, and the assets, they've got so many assets. Like, you go Lever, guns in the midfield. Petrarca's an absolute jet who's a, probably at, about at an age now where he's going to explode. Oliver, again, an absolute gun. Nathan Jones, the bald-headed figure of Voldemort flying around in the midfield. Like, what more could you want if you're a Demon supporter? Um, McDonald and Hogan as the bookends. I think it's I think it's all there. And I, I think um, thinking about it off air, you know, curses have got to be broken eventually, and I just think it's time for Melbourne. There's, you can look at last year as a glass, glass half empty, but I tend to see it as a glass half full. They could have finished eighth and made a prelim. I think they were that good. I think when they missed the finals, you were left with two irrelevant teams in there who weren't going to do anything. Um, it would have been a much better final series with Melbourne in. Um, and I just can't see them dropping the sort of games that they dropped last year. Um, I can see them dropping. I'm going to jump in there and but before you just start mm-hmm. the ministry. But uh, so. I can see them dropping those games again because, as you mentioned, so they're, they're up in tackles, but they're down in ball use. Mm. The reason why they're so high in tackles is because they give first use of the ball to other teams. Mm-hmm. They especially give first use of the ball to other teams that have good pressure, like KPIs. Mm-hmm. And so Melbourne aren't a great pressured team. They're a good contested ball team. Mm-hmm. They're an okay tackling team. But they have to do both of those so well because they don't actually apply situational or positional pressure on teams that well. Which is why they don't they won't win against teams that do that. So they dropped games to Fremantle. Richmond different because they end up getting that a pass because they wanted to win the flag. But then yeah, even to, to North, they they lose games to these zonal teams where you can't just crash and bash your way through two or three lines at a time. Mm. So I think they they lose to conservative teams too often for me to really know. They only have one game plan. They only have a plan A and they don't have a very convincing plan mm. B. They definitely don't have a plan C. They are they are pretty much where Richmond was three years ago. On the precipice of the eight, but definitely not on the precipice of the four. Yeah, I mean, I'm still pretty sold. Mm. On the evidence of the games that I saw last year and particularly judging and I kind of it's hard because you watch so much of one team this is one of my aims next year is to actually watch a team that is in Richmond every week and see how you see them evolve um, uh, that team will probably be Melbourne and may also be Carlton but I just think on the balance of how hard they were as an opposition I thought they were always capable of doing over whoever they played and I think the differential between their best and their worst and obviously having the game plans to counteract different types of teams is going to be central and I think that, I mean, I think that a lot can happen in five months. And if that's not been something I've addressed over the preseason, I'd be very, very surprised. I'm red hot. They're uh, top four for me. Yep. No, that's fair enough. Um, and I'm happy to hang my hat on it. My, well, what sort of hats do Melbourne supporters wear? Very um, nice Expensive ones. ones yeah. Expensive ones. I'll hang my hat and I'll take my cheese board and I'll hang it all on that. And I'll get some nice bottles of uh, red wine in the MCC members while I'm there supporting them. 
if they can get me out of the library. Well, I'm going to introduce your hot take. Yeah, you do that then. Because my question, and I'm sorry, Jared and Robbo, but I've stolen it. Who would you rather be? Would you rather be Port Adelaide or Essendon? Definitely, definitely, definitely Port Adelaide. Mm. So I wish I had the courage to disagree with you, but I'm not flying the Essendon flag. Well, just there's no flag. There's no flag to fly, is there? So like, I think you want to have a bit of a whack at Essendon, so I'm going to just go pump up Port. Port, um, I am as passionate about Port winning it this year as you are about Melbourne. Like they, they. Sorry, I didn't say Melbourne would win it. Just don't take words. Don't put words in my mouth. Yeah, but that that six minute soliloquy suggests that you're pretty keen. On was it a soliloquy? Yeah, I don't normally you... have sol- <laughs> It was definitely a monologue. Oh, I'm on good form tonight. Wow. Uh, um, yeah. So in terms of the ins that Port got, they're all class ins, and they all fixed problems that they had last year. Mm. Uh, they already weren't that poor last year either. They had bad games where they kind of got knocked out of the game early and couldn't fight their way back in. But in terms of their fundamentals, and if you look at what's been succeeding in this epoch of AFL, it's been pressure acts. So, like, Richmond's... The reason why Richmond did so well in that final is they maintained pressure acts that are just so far beyond the norm that even the silkiest teams can no longer use that to their advantage. Port Adelaide have both. They have they are a magical at their best. So, you know, watch the replay of Paddy Ryder to... Robbie Gray thousands and thousands of times that's them at their best in ball movement add someone in like Jack Watts who although he's very maligned if he's surrounded in a positive environment look at him shine this year and he's a silky clean and smart player when he doesn't have to carry the load of everyone and that's the fact that they actually have you know that small agile forwards that they can use to dominate field position and suddenly you have an even better version of Richmond last year mm. so and that can only be a good good blueprint well if you could pick a Sifters boulder, I don't pronounce that correctly, but you know, you know what I mean. You know the great guy who had to push the boulder uphill. Yeah. And you could pick one that was good. Watching that Paddy Ryder to Robbie Gray tap on loop for all of eternity yeah. would certainly beat listening to Barbie Girl on loop for an hour and a half. Yeah, oh, correct. Um, that would always be it because that, that was beautiful. And I kind of, I totally agree with you. I think their ins are, are almost all guns. I, I can't see them getting worse, and they weren't that far off making the four last year. They were knocked out of that race pretty late on. Yeah. Um, probably really shouldn't have lost at home to West Coast, but again, they did. Shit happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think Rockliffe and Watts are going to have a huge, huge, huge impact. I think they are both Jets. Mm. Um, again, you've got to knock someone down if teams are going to go up, and that's probably where I'm about to come in because... For me, and this is a really easy opinion to shout after the performance that Essendon put in on the weekend, but I just think they're a little bit overhyped. Um, and I feel this way about a couple of other teams. I won't pop them all this week. But um, for me, I, I just thought Essendon, I thought they were miles off um, last year in terms of being competitive in the finals. And I thought on the weekend they just didn't show anything. And I, I don't know, I'm not convinced that their recruits are as good as we think they are. Like I kind of go back to the fact that Stringer did leave the dogs for a reason. Yeah. Um, he was an unwanted player. Um, again, I guess you could probably say the same thing about Jack Watts, but I think that's a vastly different set of circumstances. And I'm, I'm just not sure that I see it with the Bombers, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they miss. And I think if you were going to be hot on one of those teams and Port and Essendon as the two biggest moves in the trade period are all the rage, 
I think it has to be Port. So on those results again, we saw that uh, and a couple of my friends are on this bandwagon as well. North Melbourne got done by the Demons. The Demons are obviously going to be a good team this year to some extent, but North Melbourne, I think, will just be irrelevant. I think they're going to get overtaken by the Gold Coast. This, That's a big call this season because the Gold Coast are rubbish. Yeah, but the North, the North, have been no good for a very long time. And who, where's their improvement coming from? Well, you've got here. That well, it isn't number one. Number two, you've got here that the North Melbourne North Melbourne should become the North Hobart Kangaroos. Yeah, I think we should create the North Gold Coast Hobart, no North Gold Coast of Hobart Kangaroos, and just send them both there. Well, no, you send one to Launceston and one to Hobart. Oh, what a day it'll be for Tasmanian footy! Yeah, the Tasmanian crisis is solved. Yeah, look, I'm not. Yeah, I think there's a significant case to be made for expansion in Tasmania. And I don't necessarily think if we're going to do it now, it'll take the form of expansion. Well, I don't think you need to expand in Tasmania. I think we have enough teams as it is. The town pool is pretty much back to where it needs to be. And what what what, what significance does North Melbourne have in a year currently? They don't, they're, not, they're not going to struggle for the eight this year, yet again. They treated their list poorly. They got rid of all their club legends. No one turns up to their games. They play in the empty callous grandstand that is Eddie Hayden Stadium. And they want to play half their games in Tasmania anyway. Have another five there. What, what difference does it make? The, the 9,000 people you leave behind Victoria won't be upset. And wow. If they are, they can go to Tasmania. Sorry, do you want to just... 9,000 people they leave behind in Victoria. They turn up to their games at Eddie Hayden. Oh, uh, look, I'm not convinced that it's that small a following. But... Oh, look, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm not sort of too bothered either way. Um, I'm not going to be a rampant North fan and rebut you, although if any North fans want to sign up, jump in the studio next Monday and have this argument. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up, SC underscore mag underscore Oz. Because I feel like this is a case that I don't have the energy to argue, but it's a bit like um, Australia becoming a republic. I just, I don't, I just, I'm not that bothered. But if you are bothered, please, please get in, get involved. So, the people's question for the week, Gordon, and this is a really interesting one. I'll give you a little bit of background to this. I've been listening to quite a lot of the Howie games, and I, I'm, I'm a bit of a Howie games fan. I'm enjoying the Big Penguin and the Pickle and their questions, and I'm enjoying Howie. I think his work's pretty pretty terrific, and um, certainly something that I think is, uh, is such a good place for this, this sort of one-on-one podcasting interview. But I listened to two this week. I listened to McAvaney, and I listened to Committee, 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 and I thought they were really interesting. I thought they posed some interesting questions about the role of the commentator, particularly in AFL and the differences between TV and radio, uh, whether we want information or entertainment. And we're going to dip into this, Gordon. Yep. Um, so the first question really is, and this is an interesting one because you're going to get all sorts of bloody answers here, but how much of yourself should you inject into the broadcast, Gordon? Well, it depends on what your role is. Mm. So a traditional broadcast for both radio and television usually has a main play-by-play caller. Mm -hmm. So that is your Jared Waitley, that is your JB type. It has a colour commentator Mm. who also does some play-by-play, and this is your BT or your secondary segment. So an Andrew Hudson's usually quite a good colour play, Mm -hmm. colour play blend. And then usually you have... Some array, if it's a triple M commentary box, they have probably 20 of them in there at once, 
of special comments and in inverted commas, which are, is is and Australia does it really poorly, but usually an attempt to somehow add analysis or insight from an ex-player of varying degrees of retirement into that. So that's how usually it goes. And mm. like, so what your role is there is probably how much you need to inject yourself. Mm-hmm. So you look to listen to Waitley, and I'll be upfront. I'm very biased in favour of Waitley. He is one of my favourite broadcasters and commentators. But in footy especially, he picks and chooses his moments not to put himself in, but to raise or lower the tone. Yeah. So he doesn't. He doesn't go. This is about me. He goes. This is about the moment, and I'll. But I'll add personality to the call. Whereas a guy like JB adds himself to the call again in less lesser extents, and is is more like he'll find he he injects his personality via nicknames and things. Mm. So, you know, the he had the push up king for instance for for JB and that kind of stuff. So that's his flavour, but he's not going himself. Then you have BT. And my umbrance with BT is that it's all about him. It's as a as a former full forward, as a but like he plays at a different era, doesn't he? Mm. There's no context to the insertion. Rewind there. Were you a Rex Hunt fan? I was a Rex Hunt fan, and like the first time around, if you know what I mean, because he had the when he was Mm. in his prime, massive fan. Then he had the controversy and the blob in his private life, and he came back after that, and he was he was a bit weird, Mm -hmm. but. Initial Rex Hunt, yippity yippity, and all that kind of stuff. Loved it. Big rabbit. T- big thank you. Last thank, you. thank you, Mother, for the rabbits and all that kind of Thank you, Mother, for the rabbits. My favourite one was an upcountry finger-breaking mongrel punt kick. Yes, correct. Um, which is probably still the best line ever. But whilst field. adding personality, it also adds something to the call. So he's on radio, and I know what a mongrel, mongrel punt looks like. So... Thinking about this, I know it's really interesting that you talk about the hyperbole of BT. Australian football commentary lends itself to hyperbole, but we kind of have had to go through audio clips for the, the start of the audio journalism module that I'm doing, and I picked out Jared Whaley's calls of the Bulldogs' final series. Um, and there's a 15-minute montage of Jared Whaley's calls on ABC, and I imagine there's something similar for the Richmond one, but I didn't listen to it because I don't want to you know, just ruin my day by having to spend half of it in tears. But... Um, if you go too much hyperbole like JB, for example, you take away from the moments that actually deserve the full amount of your emotion. And that's, I think, where Jared is perfect because sometimes with sport, it is regulation. Mm. And pretending that it's something other than regulation takes away from the moments where it is actually truly unbelievable. And the Bulldogs and the closing moments of the finals that they were winning, they were unbelievable sporting moments mm. and they were captured because you weren't getting that from Jared all the time you don't go to Jared's every sports call and go oh my god this is amazing he's making this sound like the best thing in the world when it's not yeah. and literally the Bulldogs making the grand final He, the best line the best line is he just goes the dogs are going to the grand final what a time to be alive and I love it because that's such an overused phrase but yeah. if there was ever a time to be alive that was it yeah and again it depends on the on the format as well. So mm. there is less, and that's why JB is really good on radio because he actually is a good play by play caller, mm. and his his lyricisms work well because it adds that that color in the theater of the radio. He is he is a disciple of Rex Hunt. JB, yeah. where BT falls out of place is on TV, where he finds a need to talk constantly. So even in AFL, like I don't need to be told that. 
Basil Hawley's kicked it to Reese Connor. We can see it. Because I can see it. Yeah. And it, I, I need to be told why he kicked it there. Or I don't need mm-hmm. to tell anything. And so they need to go to the Richie Benno book. And yes, cricket's different, but cricket's hard because it has nothing happening. And even then, Richie was very keen to be like, no, I'll let the nothingness happen mm. and then come in when I can add something, mm. either, either to educate or entertain or just like, elicit a picture. Quick. Well, TV lends itself like understatement is more favourable in TV calling than it is in radio calling Hmm. because in radio calling someone has to paint the whole picture so you need to know what's going on you need to know where the ball is you need to know what it's like you need to know who's where you need to know all these things Hmm. what's this game look like is it scrappy is it not scrappy there's so much information that you're not getting visually that there's more room for that whereas sometimes in TV commentary less is more 100% I would love to know what the stats are and it's probably too hard to tell at the moment of how many people look at like have the TV broadcast on and listen to something else or don't listen to it at all. Because I will either have the TV on and listen to the radio or I'll just listen to music. Because again, like we're at the state now where we're doing an hour-long podcast about football. I'm not getting told anything on a football broadcast on television that I don't already know about football. Exactly, exactly. And And so then there's enough people out there who are in 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 our shoes. And then there are people who probably are in beyond it. And yes, there'd be a small percentage. I think TV especially, people are scared that people will get lost. And I don't think that's the case these days. People who are into footy follow footy. Well, they read about footy, they understand footy, they watch footy, even to the extent they watch I, I watch three sixty or even you know some of the bullshit segments in the war room and Fox Footy. Like people are capable enough to understand what a zone is, what a press is. Hmm. If they're not, break it down for us. That what needs to happen, what I'd like to see happen, is we get to the point where we are like the NFL TV calls. Well, you have a recently retired player, so Tony Romer was the, the guy this year, mm-hmm. who actually breaks it down for you. He was a quarterback last year. Mm-hmm. And he knows that this is this play, this is that play, this yeah. is what's going to happen next. So, you know, this year, if Bob Murphy was allowed to be a footballer and not a folklore legend, he'd be perfect to come in and say, this is what is happening. This is why mm-hmm. they kick backwards. This is what might happen next. They're losing the pressure points. What do pressure points mean? Explain that. Give give the audience some value, not just hyperbole. But the question for me is not just who, not just how they're calling, but who are they calling for? And I think increasingly they're not called. Maybe they're not calling for a heavily football centric audience, which is why the people that are on Twitter who don't like BT aren't like they're not liking his commentary. But he's not called. Maybe he's not calling for them. Maybe he's calling for people that want to turn this on and need something more than the game. To be engrossed in it. We're not that demographic. If that's the case, then I want to see the AFL give us the options like you can. Like NBA, I get NBA Live Pass. Mm-hmm. MLB is the best one. I can have it in three different languages. I can have it the home team, the away team, a neutral team. Or I can have just the stats that the teams get next to. Mm-hmm. I have all of that. I have all the options. Well, here. So if you want to listen to BT, I should be able to get, sim- I should be able to get simulcast of all the radio stations so I can just pick my favourite radio station I should have an alternate commentary one almost like a, a Roy and HG possibly like, a, like a, just a real spoof one if that's mm. my take on the game or I have a Channel 7 call and you can be real generalist and centralist on there on your national TV broadcast but then you have these alternate commentary like you're seeing now with cricket especially White Line Wireless is amazing like this mm. um, the alternate cricket callers which is the New Zealand guys they, they go there's not enough catering to these little pockets. Like even even I'd be happy to do a call and go. I know what I like. We have a, we have our listenership. 
let's call games. And mm-hmm. that way I know that the people who are like me, who want to listen to, want to, listen to similar things, I can match that, that niche. Mm. And there is such a diversification in media. Saying what is the role of the commentator is, what is the role of your commentator for your audience? And Channel 7 and mainstream media don't understand who their audiences are. And they're not one audience anymore. They're pockets of audiences. If you looked at the last five years, so this includes Bruce and Dennis in the conversation, who is, who is the benchmark for television? If we've decided that Jared is the benchmark for radio, which I think is, I mean, it'd be fairly hard to make a case elsewhere, I think, in that, in that space. Who is the benchmark on TV? So the benchmark for mine is not one caller, but a set of callers. So when the TV rights went to Channel 10, that was by far the best. Who was the so, Let's go. So you had Quartermain, mm-hmm. uh, Russell, mm-hmm. Hudson, mm-hmm. uh, Andy Maher, but I'm not a huge fan of Andy Maher. Interesting. But those three. Mm-hmm. And so like my favorite TV calling moment is Leo Barry, you star. Like that. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. And, and yes, and all good moments are, was, um, are encapsulated by the actual moment itself. Like Leo Barry has to take that mark. But that call... And that day with that TV channel, and they've proven across all sports. They do really well with the cricket. Mm. They've done really well. They've done really well when they had the rights to the AFL. They've absolutely smashed motorsport mm. because they get people who are who are experts in their field, not just as callers, but actually understand football. Mm. They and they get a good mix that isn't all just like me, me, me. They don't insert themselves completely, but when they do, you go, "Oh no, I want to hear what Quarterman wants to has mm. to say." Oh my god, I'm going on a journey with with Dwayne Russell. Yeah. Well, Nick, Nick Davis in the same year. Was it the same year? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was a wonderful call as well, and that was hard. Yeah, I agree with that. I like that. But what was your opinion on Bruce as a commentator? I, I think he, he is... He has longevity, but I think almost he overstayed his mark. I don't See, I don't think he did. I think the problem was that the people around him are now thoroughly annoying. And I think he's probably... Like, the fact that he was using the word bubbling in the grand final, like, would he, be, would he have been doing that if he was surrounded by better people? Do you reckon, he's, do you reckon he's, he's almost bought into the caricature of himself? I think he's bought into some of the crap that's going on within his own commentary box a little bit too much. Like, I genuinely think that Bruce... Uh, Bruce's call, so, like, in terms of... That was footy, but, like, the ultimate call, I think, on television ever... Kathy Freeman. Is Kathy Freeman winning the final yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah, and I think I think he's... And Bruce is a soundtrack yeah. to that. I think Bruce is an icon, and I think that the joke that used to be told about... Our dad used to say, have you swallowed Bruce McAvaney's briefcase? Because I think his knowledge of all sports is, is outrageous. He's such a... He's a... He's an icon, and I still quite like hearing Bruce call. I quite liked hearing Dennis call. I'm just not sure that the guys that are behind them... Ah, uh, much job. Really? Yeah, and I think they're just not my cup of tea in terms of they are a bit kitschy. They do have mm. like bruises, you know, like a fish out of water through the eye of the needle, all those kind of like really kind of staid cliches. And the same with Bruce would be special and marvelous and delicious. It, all kinds of. Delicious yeah. was a little bit weird. It, yeah. Oh, like it is a football and not a meat, meat plate. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so changing that a little bit, we're gonna, and this is something we're kind of been we've been talking about a little bit because obviously at the moment it's all about AFLW. Kelly Underwood, what do you uh, reckon? Well, Kelly Underwood nails it, mm-hmm. and again, well, she's she's a disciple of Jared, really. No, that's, no, that's I, I mean, I think she does a sensational job, and I think that uh, Bennett is the same on AFLW. I love them both. I think they do really good work. Yeah, and probably one who needs more reps, especially as a either a colour or a sideline reporter is. Um, Nearly Meadows. 
At its best, the AFLW commentary this year has been really good. At its worst, it's been yeah. horrific. I mean, I think Narrowly Meadows is good. I got a little bit annoyed with her over the summer in the cricket when she bought in a little bit too much to the the hysteria around the Bearstow headbutt. It was a bit too partisan for my liking. I don't really, like, can we just be objective rather than just be the Australian media? Generally, though, I think her work is really, really good, and that's a very isolated example. And I think on AFLW, she's exceptional. And I think her post-game interviews are wonderful. I've kind of mentioned that we had a, what was it? A um, a mark that was regulatory Yes, uh, on the weekend from Kate Sheen. So what do we make of particularly the Kate Sheen and Lee Montagna combination on Fox Footy's AFLW? They are, they are trying them both out, I probably to see if they can last for the AFL M season and they both don't have it. Yeah, I can't. I can't like Lee Montana. I this, can't this, find me to disagree. This is the part that I don't understand. You're taking two ex players straight out of playing, giving them no training really, and then here they are on national television. Mm-hmm. You like I can't walk up and do it. Like I, I, I back myself in to have more chops because I'm doing more reps. Like where, where they done their reps? Have they gone out and done a local game? Have they done a VAFA thing? Have they gone for MySport.tv? Straight into Fox Footy, yeah. Yeah. Have they done anything, anything along those lines? But- no, they've gone straight in because they just go, oh, Lee Montagna was a great player. He must know something about the game. Well, yes, but can he portray that using his voice and knowing when and how much to insert and why? And Kate Sheen's almost opposite because she comes across as not knowing anything about the game. The number one annoying thing I heard on the weekend was uh, someone missed a goal. There were, there were too many goals in the Western Bulldogs game to work out who it was, but someone missed a goal and she said, oh, she would have been really upset with that miss. And I was like, no shit. Like, no one wants to miss a goal. I don't need to be told that. that yeah. You've just, you've just taken, you know, seven seconds to selling nothing. Yeah, which I feel like is a bit of a reoccurring theme. I think there was another one where she stated that the most courageous player in the comp was the one that won the most courageous award without linking the two things. Like, oh, yeah, she won the most courageous last year. She backs into packs. Like, no, she's, the most, she's probably the most courageous player in the comp. I'm like, she won, she won the award. She literally is. <laughs> she literally is. Um... No, I agree with that. I feel a little bit... Uh, it's interesting because I think the argument you make about the, the experience that goes behind those performances is actually really important. I'm not necessarily just potting them here. I think it's really important that you just look at, like, why have we got a media landscape that is putting people in at the deep end? Uh, like, well, it's, it's more it's just because I think, TV, especially in TV, people people want to get the hype. So I'm like, you know, if they put me in... I, I come from a media background, but no one knows who I am. I don't have a profile. I know you are. But if you put in an ex-player straight away, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go, that was my favourite player last year. I'll watch Channel 7's broadcast because my favourite player is commentating. Mm. Regardless if they're any good or not. This, mm. this is, you know, that's how Richard got his gig. He, I, Richard's not terribly good at his, at his, in his television bits. I love Richard. I grew up watching Loving Richard, but I think he's a difference. He's come up with saying some ridiculous stuff like it's hard to kick... With the taller post. That makes sense. That made 100% sense. He just articulated it really badly. That's my point. He articulated it really badly. The point he was making... His only job... Was, was bang. His only job is to articulate things well when he's doing a broadcast. Yeah, you're right. We should hire more broadcasters and less ex-players. No, I think we should because people forget that with Richie Benno, he went through a cadetship with the BBC for years. He trained for ages mm. to get to where he was. I think the interesting thing is and we spoke about off air Jared call in the Super Bowl and everyone oh how amazing is a sports caller is Jared which is true but what people probably don't think about or see is the fact that I can only imagine Jared sat in a hotel room for three weeks 
before that or wherever he was, sat at home. And he must have watched so much NFL, read so much about the various combatants that he was going to call. To do that as well as he did it doesn't, to me, talk about what he does on the microphone. It talks about what he did in the lead-up. And I think that's the only way that you can walk into a Super Bowl and nail it. Like, yes. that's almost... Like, I, to give me another caller who's done that. Never called a sport before. Gone to the pinnacle and smashed it. Joe Bass, the obvious one who does... He did both baseball and NFL mm. and did World Series and the Super Bowl. Mm. And then with CBS when we've done the Olympics. Yeah. But most, more often than not, those guys... Fail, but at the end of the yeah. day, I think like you draft the best players to play in these games. We should draft the best people to call these games. Agree, and they are broadcasters first and foremost. And you know you're on your player role. So if you want an ex player to come in, they come in and they be the bit player first. And if they want a career in broadcast media, you try. Then they do that. Then they do their reps, and then they become it. But no one comes out of it like they're in. They especially now in the AFL environment where they are so closed off. They learn. They get told to never trust the media. Never give away trade secrets. It's all, you know, us against them. They can't go from that to coming out and not speaking in cliches in their first three seasons. Mm. They need to come out and know that they have to elicit, they have to explain, not everyone knows the secrets. And they also know there's different audiences. So where, where, what am I hitting? What's my role on this broadcast team? I already have the generalists. I already have the colour dude. I'm going to be the, the nerdy tactics dude. Yeah. And know your spot and know your marks and hit them. And then if you want to progress, you progress, but you need to do the reps. The final segment is uh, Champ or Chump? Champ or Chump? Now, we're not, I'm not rushing out here because it's past my bedtime, but we do have a shortage of champs. Lift your game, folk. Uh, the only one I've got is two votes for the Kick to Kick pod, which I've recently discovered. Every episode recaps a season of the AFL or VFL going back to 1897. Uh, oh, wow. That's that is, amazing. Well, I'm kind of a bit pissed off we didn't think of it first, but... Love it. Um, we can do a crossover pod. That's fine. 100% get around it. I'm so excited. 1897 and reading match reports from 1897. I've actually decided in round one while I'm in this simulated war zone that rather than living round one this year, I'm going to go back to 1898 and just read all the match reports. And then I'm going to come into our podcast not knowing whether Richmond beat Carlton. But I'm going to talk about 1898. Um, because, shit, football was just good. Good back then. Oh, I completely disagree, but anyway. Well, it was probably rubbish, but you never going to know. It was rubbish. Well, even watching replays of the 80s. You were pretty rubbish in 1998 as well, Chief. So, well, you weren't really here, but... All right, chump. A few chumps. There's always chumps. I'm a chump. Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. So, I've gone for a selection of two votes here. And there's a bit of a Bulldogs focus. Yeah. Uh, You'll notice that. So, two votes to the Western Bulldogs. Not letting Susan Alberti through the main entrance at the Whitnoval is a little bit weird, given she's a life member. Um, she's probably built the stand. Um, just let her in. Jake Stringer. Um, haircut. Wow. Um, I'm not copping that. Like, really? What is that? Like, what is that thing? Like, it's not even a haircut. It's half a haircut. That's a Matt Swain special. No, it's, it's disgusting. It needs to go. And until you're playing good footy... Not that. Like, you should have a buzz cut for all for all I care about. Like, you can't have a loud... Like, have a mullet, but you've got to be kicking goals. Like, surely. Who was the last spud to have a mullet? Don't say a Varn marriage, because he was not a spud. No, he was pretty spud, though. Big Evie, mate. Culture. Culture. Kate in. Sorry, champ. Um, a regulatory mark. I don't know what the mark was regulating. Um, look, like, and, you know, disappointment after... She was disappointed after missing a goal. Like, clearly... 
Call something but the obvious, please. Two yeah. votes. Cop that. The Herald Sun editorial team. Now, this is also Stringer-related, and this is not deliberate, but Stringer's ex-girlfriend, Abby Gilmore, has a column in the Herald Sun. And <laughs> I'm sure she writes some really balanced stuff about Jake Stringer in it. Well, it was a little bit balanced. I think Jake and her have gone their own separate ways, and they're on new journeys, and they're enjoying it, which... From that statement, you know that I read the column, and I just I don't know why this exists. This this was two minutes of my life that I'm never getting back, and I've given myself two votes because it's one thing to knock a column, but if you're going to knock it, give up after ten words. Yeah, so I've copped a couple there because I just shouldn't have bothered. Uh, you know, I, I'm sparse for time at times, and this was just not a worthy use of the time that I do have. And I mean, Herald Sun, Jesus, like, sort it out. Surely there are more entertaining people that can be on the pages of your esteemed publication. No, apparently not. So, two for the Herald Sun editorial team, two for me. I'm, I'm probably winning this award now, which is, you know, probably true character. Two for Kachin, two for Jack Stringer, two for the Western Bulldogs. I'm pretty sure that's uh, all of the material we've got for tonight. Um, look out, special book club. So it's not part of this pod, it's a separate one altogether. We had Conrad in this evening. He's a jet. Had a wonderful interview with him about yellow and black. That'll be this week's book club. And some exciting stuff coming up. Obviously, uh, I'm going to make the long, arduous trek out to Moe next week. I'm going to be down in Casey on Friday night. Let me know if you're going and you like the sound of my voice and you want to hear it in person. I'm always happy to have a chat at the AFLW. Um, bit of other stuff, JLT to keep following. VFL friendlies kicking off. Werribee played Richmond on the weekend, which has interest because Werribee is standing alone this year. Um, we'll keep following along. We're also looking at how we're going to format the pod in AFL men's season. So if you have any suggestions, things you want to hear more of, things you want to hear less of, we can sort of accommodate all of that. I'm happy to take your feedback, send us questions if you've got them. But uh, for now, it is past my bedtime and that's all. Good night. Good night. Monday's experts Always know what's best Always tell you what you should have done Monday's experts Always know what's cooking How the game was lost And how it could have been won And when Monday comes around Everyone's an expert in my town Monday's experts Experts, we're all Monday's experts.